My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Christ is in our midst. He is Today we're going, uh, we're going to look at the story of Jesus turning the water to wine at the wedding in Cana. In John's gospel, this is the beginning of Jesus' signs that point to his identity. He does a series of, of seven signs in, the, in John's gospel. And I like to think that this story lays out a pattern of sorts that can help to continually orient us as Christians, both in our personal lives and as a church, in our personal purpose and in our corporate purpose. And that pattern is set by the phrase that the Blessed Virgin utters to the servants at the wedding feast, which is the title of this morning's sermon, Do Whatever He Tells You. Do Whatever He Tells You. So I'm going to break this up into three pieces. The first part is going to be Jesus and his mother. The second part will be G uh, the jugs of water or Jesus and the servants. And then the last will be Jesus and the disciples. Interestingly, John never mentions Mary by her name in his gospel. She's only directly referenced to again when Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus has called his disciples in this story already and they are with him and Mary at the wedding. And contrary to some, weddings are festive <laughs> and joyous occasions. Lots of dancing, rejoicing, and if you are a Baptist, I'm sorry to tell you, drinking of wine. St. Augustine commenting on this, he noted that God, that Jesus takes something that was not intoxicating and turned it, it, turned it into something intoxicating. I think it's how he, how he put it. Scripture tells us that wine is something that God has given to us to gladden our hearts. But disaster happens. They run out of wine. The full bar is, is dry. And Mary notices this. That she sees that this need has arisen and she goes to Jesus and she says, the wine is all gone. And the way that Jesus responds here on the surface seems to be a little bit harsher than what it may actually be. Because he addresses her here as woman. What is, I think in Greek it's literally, what is this between you and me? And, and commentators note that, that though direct, right, you normally wouldn't address, you know, your parent this way. I don't think that Jesus means anything negative by it, right? Jesus is not a misogynist here, right? Who needs to see the error of his ways, right? This isn't a lesson to teach us that, uh, you know, we should never address somebody by woman, you know, that, 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 that's, um, that it's misogynistic. That's not what's going on here. Um, the commentator F.F. Bruce, he sees this, her asking him to perform this sign, right? And hence his response is, is a sign that's sort of unworthy of the deeds of the Messiah, right? Hence, hence his response. But I, I don't think that Bruce is right here because the symbolism of, of what's going to happen with the water being turned into wine here, which ties in to the pouring out of his blood on the cross, I, I think means that he's not entirely correct here. I think that, that there's some commentators named Martin and Wright. I think they have it 
right when, when they note that there's a shift here in this phrase. In other words, Mary is, I'll use air quote, is moving from being the mother of Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, who then turns and points others to follow and to obey Jesus as well. It's a reorientation, as it were, maybe, of, of their relationship, a setting into proper perspective, a, a setting into a proper, proper role and place. And Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. So even though Jesus never said, I'm going to do something about the problem, it seems to me that Mary has an expectation that he will in fact do something because of her request. And in the story, he does do something because of her request. And like I said, this becomes the first of the seven signs that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John that point to his true identity as the Messiah and Son of God. Jesus looks and he sees the stone jars sitting empty. And these jars were used for rites of purification, for, for washing hands and feet and implements. And, and those gathered there know that those jugs are there to be used for that purpose. And it's a wedding, right? So it's, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say there's a lot of people here, right? So we're going to use a lot of water to wash feet, to wash hands. And Jesus tells the servants of, of the house, those, those, those empty jugs over there, I want you to go and fill them up. And heeding Mary's instructions, do whatever he tells you, they listen to him and to her. And then after they're full of water, Jesus says, draw some out and drink it. And they do. And the water has become wine. And they bring it to the, the master of the wedding feast and he drinks it. And everybody who drinks it are amazed because this new wine is better than what they had served at the beginning of the wedding feast. Normally what you would do, the, the master of the feast says, is you save the best, uh, you, you, you don't want to give everybody the best wine because they're not going to be able to appreciate it. So you kind of bring out the not so good wine and you save the best wine for something special. But he says you have saved the best wine for last. That's like starting to drink a bottle of like Apothic, which is nice, right? But then you go to your friend's house who has that massive wine cellar and you pull something out covered in dust and whoo, blows the dust off and he uncorks it and he pours it and it's the best wine you've ever tasted. It's kind of like that. But it's not just for a select few. It's for the entire wedding feast. It's not just for the bride and the groom. It's not just for Jesus and his disciples or for Mary. The best wine is given to everyone. To everyone. And Jesus, when he institutes the Eucharist, Holy Communion, in the upper room, what does he use? He uses wine. Wine is symbolic of blood. So these jugs used for washing hands and feet, for cleaning them, they're refilled and turned into wine. And, and Jesus says in the upper room, this, the cup of wine that he, he lifts up, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you in my blood. 
And as we know, as we read the scriptures, we see that the blood of Christ does something. The blood of Christ purifies. The blood of Christ cleans. Just as blood is sprinkled on the children of Israel to purify them, to be able to stand into the presence of God, the blood of Jesus poured out purifies all of us. So as the water jugs then can symbolize the old covenant, the wine in the jugs represents the new and better covenant that all are called to participate in, that all are called to taste of. And that's kind of a running theme, I hope you've noticed, throughout Epiphany that began with not just the, the, the uh, that, that began with the calling of the wise men from the east who saw the star, who were brought. And we talked about how those who worshipped the stars were by a star led to whom they should worship instead. The calling back of the Gentiles, those who are outside of God's people, are being brought in. And that's something that I think we can see here in this text too. Because the wine isn't just for a few. Everybody at the wedding feast receives it. And this, this wine is better than the old wine. The new covenant is a better covenant as the epistle to the Hebrews tells us. Built upon better promises. And the blood of Jesus does what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. Let's look at Jesus and the disciples. So the feast continues. The better wine has been poured. And us, brothers and sisters, we as the church are the body of Christ. This wedding prefigures the wedding in the age to come upon Christ's return. Well, he will come again in glory, whom we will feast with unceasingly, as the wine of the true feast will never run out. And as a result, it says, his disciples, seeing this miracle, believed in him. This is the end result of the story. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that the others at the feast believed in him too. A growing recognition of who Jesus is begins here at the wedding feast of Cana, where the glory of Jesus is begun to be revealed which will have its denouement as Jesus is lifted up on the cross for our salvation. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins and the redemption of the world, the point where his glory is seen by all. And I think we can learn a few things from this story. As this story, as I said earlier, is something that we can use to help reorient ourselves as individuals and as a church. So like Mary, she sees, she notices that something is wrong at the feast. And so we all, brothers and sisters, we know when we look around that there is something wrong. There is something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with the world. And if you don't believe me, turn on your news channel of choice. But don't do it for too long. It'll drive you crazy. Something is wrong with the world. Something is so wrong with the world. Those who report on the events of what's going wrong with the world, we see that there's something wrong with them too. There's something wrong with us. And there's something wrong with others. Don't look at the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. No, <laughs> I'm not. It's nobody here. We know 
that there's something wrong with others. There's something wrong with everything. There's something wrong with everything. And when we're brought into the body of Christ, when we are baptized into Christ, when we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that becomes shockingly clear that there's something wrong with everything. And the only thing that can repair it, the only thing that can heal it, the only thing that can bring restoration and redemption, that can bring wholeness, is Jesus Christ. I think like Mary, we need to have the eyes to see. And this can play itself out in, in different ways, right? Primarily what is wrong with the world, primarily, is that we have been enslaved to sin, to death, and to Satan. That corruption has run rampant in all of humanity. That is primarily what is wrong. And St. Paul says in Romans, right, that all of creation, not just humanity, but creation itself, the entire cosmos, everything that is, groans in anticipation for the, re the, the redemption of, of the, that Christ will finally usher in at our resurrection. That's primarily what's wrong with the world that Jesus has come to do. After that, forgiveness of sins, incorporation into Christ, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and being sealed and set apart, then what we can do is we can start looking and saying, this is what's wrong in the world. And, and I think a lot of times what we do is, as churches is, I think sometimes churches put too broad of a, of a, of a burden on people, right? And I, I think our culture does this with everything, where there are so many problems that our culture itself, outside of the church, has said need to be addressed. There's so many problems being thrown at us, right? Well, where do we, where do we even begin? But the, the purpose of the church is not necessarily to address the problems that our secular society has identified. Our purpose as a church is to primarily to bring people back into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then, like I said, that primary purpose after that's fulfilled, then we can move on because then we have eyes to see what's really going on, right? That's when we're able to actually see behind the curtain. And so we don't have to try and do something to change the world. Right, I see this all the time, like on TV, on kids' shows especially. One little thing you do, you can change the world. That's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. That's a lot of pressure to put on an adult. You can change the world. Really? It just takes one person. I'm not sure that's quite how history works. But what we can do, and I stole this, and I, I stole this from, from another, um, another pastor. I can't remember his name now. It was many, many, many years ago. Um, but he said, he said, stop trying to change the world. He said, but look at ways that you can change your world. Your own world, your own little circle of influence, your own little sphere of influence, your own friends, your own family, the place where you work. That's the world that you can look at changing. Don't try to change the, the world outside of you. Start here. Because I think as we start there with our own world, that's when change spreads outside. I think the other thing we can learn here is 
like Mary did, she interceded for the guests at the feast. They have no wine. Jesus, can you do something? There's some needs that we, as individuals and as a church, that we can meet. There's other needs that we cannot meet. Right? There's things that we can do, very real practical things that we can do, like helping to provide for uh, Bethany, uh, Bethany, Bethlehem emergency shelters. We can do that. We can help organizations like, like Bright Hope. These are things that we can do. There are needs that we can identify that we have the ability to meet, and we should. But what we also do is we intercede for the needs of others in practical ways, but we also intercede for others in another way, by praying for them, by lifting them up in prayer, corporately, right? Which is why we do this every week and why, why we should do this at home as well. The needs of people that we might not be able to meet, we can at least pray for those needs. And as we intercede for others, we point them to Jesus, right? See him? Yes. Good. Do whatever he tells you to do. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. And he said, follow me. I think part of the problem in many churches is we say, yes, follow me. Look at all the great things that Jesus did. But we don't like that first part. Repent and believe the gospel. Because repenting and believing the gospel is then what orients us to follow Jesus as he is. The things that he's showing us to do. And then lastly, number three, do what he tells you. Do what he tells you. And it's for this reason why we heard read this morning uh, from 1 Corinthians, St. Paul lists all of these different gifts. And I think in many circles, they tend to over-spiritualize that list of gifts. But the point of all of those gifts that he lists is for the building up of the church. The edification of the church. The lifting up of the church increasing in love for one another and then for those outside. But that begins first among us in the church. Do what he tells you. Because ultimately, brothers and sisters, God is calling us. God is calling us. And we need to learn to pay attention to how he is calling us. And then we need to position ourselves to be able to hear where he's calling us and to whom and why so we can respond to that call. And that's my prayer for us this year, brothers and sisters, in 2022. That we can intercede for others. That we can provide for others. That we can care for others. But primarily... Primarily, we call people to repent, to believe the good news. Because the new wine that was poured at that feast points towards the new wine that will never run out. The wine that we partake of. The wine that is given to us. That refreshes us. That heals us. That saves us. And that unites us with one another and with Christ. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion's Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.